Good afternoon. Um, it's great to see so many people here for this, this marvellous production and the marvellous Ruth Wilson, a double Olivier winner and nominated for every screen and stage award. I think those of you who have already seen this production will know that this header, Gabla, um, directed by Ivo van Hove on this mercilessly modern, rather stark, quite cold set. Yes. You spend the whole, almost the whole play in your nightdress, don't you? Yeah, slip. it's very cold, and we have to ask them to <laughs> put up the heating yeah. for a whole, yeah. you know, for three, a few hours before we go on. It is. It's, it's a concrete stage as well, so it's yeah, it's pretty chilly. It's a particularly tough and engrossing production. Um, uh, I think in one of those late night reviews where you're sort of sitting on a train typing madly, I, I said there's a cold, burning brilliance about it, and one of my friends said actually, it's like being stabbed repeatedly by an ice by an icicle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a compliment. It means it gets right through to your heart. It's just that when it gets there, it's really hard. <laughs> and uh, there was a lovely line one audience member reported uh, reeling out saying, she's not very nice, is she? No, no she's horrible, but I love her. Yeah. Yeah. What, what did you feel when, when it was first put to you, the idea of, of playing Hedda? What, what did you feel about her? Um, I, I'd been asked twice before, actually, to do Hedda, but I... I'd always slightly, well, I, I felt I wasn't ready to take that character on. I also was slightly reluctant to do it because it felt like everyone does it. You know, it's like kind of the one part you must play as a woman. And I'm always a bit against doing what I must do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then, but then I, I'd watched lots of Evo's work before. I loved him. I thought he brings, a, he illuminates old classics in a, entirely different way and I thought if I was to do it with someone it was going to be with him um, and it was going to be a different experience for you and for me doing it so I and I hadn't in all honesty and this is really awful of me I hadn't really read the play all the way through before <laughs> I'd sort of read the first few pages and gone oh no and so not going to end well yeah, not going to end yeah. well <laughs> um, but I read this one, and look, Patrick Marber has done an amazing job on this adaptation. He's very economical, and he's stripped it down to its bare essentials, which makes it very acerbic, very witty, um, and really much darker in that respect. And so I, I fell in love with it instantly. And I, but I, it was interesting. My preconceptions of it, again, of how to play it and what to do with it, were very different to how we ended up putting it mm. on. Um, we'll get to some of that later, yeah. but I, I mean, going, I was looking up some of the original reviews when it first came out. The stage said she is not a woman, but a thing, a beast degraded from womanhood. And the Daily Telegraph critic, says back in Ibsen's day, cried, what a horrible story, what a hideous play. And it, <laughs> it's sort of rather wonderful, I isn't it? That. Because it's, it's part of that Ibsen thing of, he seems to have seen that something had to be done, that you had to kick the hell out of the bourgeois world that he was living in. And he felt that women were a sort of explosive substance. You know, that one day the lid was just going to blow off if they carried on like this. It comes in so many of the plays. I mean, did you, did you, did you think about the period? I mean, before you went into this, the modern setting of it, did you think about the period it was in and the, yeah. the fury of women in that situation? Yes, of course. And I think there's still fury of women now. Yeah. I don't think it's... I think, look at yesterday and the weekend. We had... I, I think that, um, you know, back, of course, every piece that you do 
you want to reference, you know, see what the playwright was trying to intend and what he was, the world he was living in and what he was referencing at the time. Um, but women have been oppressed for hundreds, thousands of years since we've been, you know, since we've existed. So I think it, we talk about in the play, there's a reference all the time to the bacchae or the vine leaves in the hair, which is a reference to bacchae and to this festival that happened amongst the Greeks, which was for women to express themselves and to go mad and be, find their inner dark side, which they're not allowed to express yeah. in their daily life, whereas men were allowed to express sides of themselves or have drink or be out and, you know, be able to sort of properly indulge in those sides of themselves, and women weren't allowed to. So once a year, they could go and go wild. And it was scary for men. They freaked out. They hated it. <laughs> men, women weren't allowed to go mad or have fun. And so um, I think there's something in Ibsen saying, yes, if you put a lid on these very human instincts and desires, if you suppress them too much, they will come out in a way that will be much more destructive. Tell me about finding that rage in yourself. I mean, the destroying of the bouquet, the, I don't know how many people here, but the hammering of the flowers to the, to the wall. It's, it's nihilistic, it's demonic, isn't it? It was very alarming. I came yes. out thinking, I've got to interview that woman. <laughs> I am frightened of her. <laughs> Just yeah. like, was it, how, how was the finding the rage? Did you? Did you? Very easy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you no, have anyone, partic anyone particular in mind? <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I, who? I mean, I don't know. It's things you're not allowed to do. You're, you're not allowed to uh, smash flowers. I mean, who would who would crush? You know, they're beautiful objects and beautiful pieces of nature. So the idea of destroying something is obviously, you know, you you're not allowed to do that in everyday life, but there's a bit in each of us <laughs> that would quite like to at some point. So I get to do that in the confines and in the safety of theatre. It's art. Mm. So I get to do it and um, I have a great time. I mean, and firing a gun. I mean, it's not a proponent of firing guns at all, but there is an exhilaration to it. Mm. Um, and each of us, what I think I feel Hedda is about is that there's a... There's an element in all human nature which is there's a dark side of us. We see it all the time, everywhere across the globe. We see that people can act horrifically and be nasty and vile and cruel. And um, we have that tendency, we have that capability. And Hedda acts in that case and does that stuff, which, um, you know, is socially unacceptable for a good reason. But it's... Um, we all have that capability. It's the great, it's the Lady Macbeth cry on Sex Me Here, isn't it? I remember I was very startled because I had, I mean, obviously every time you see a play which you've seen quite often, and I've seen about sort of three recently, there's always a, a new line comes out which suddenly hits you extra hard. And one of the ones which hit me extra hard was the rejection of pregnancy. When you say, hmm. I will not make something that makes demands. I thought that was fascinating, because I think even those of us who've had children and are very keen on them, y y y you know, it's like being hijacked pregnancy. It's, I mean, it's an extraordinary line, that, isn't it, for a man to have written. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, I, there's something... Head is a very complex character. I, don't, I still don't understand her, really, and I don't... I think there's an irrationality to her and... Uh, a deep self-loathing as well. I mean, she says the line after that, she says, 
I won't make something that makes demands, neither will I be depended on. She has a, a deep sense of self, like lack of self-worth. She doesn't want to be relied on, depended on. She feels she wouldn't be able to match up to that anyway. I think there's lots of stuff going on with her, whether she, she wants to be a free agent and not have responsibility, um, but also feels she wouldn't be capable of giving that, that being that responsible figure for someone anyway. I don't know. She's a very complex being. It's. Uh, I, mean, I mentioned Lady Macbeth on Sex Me here. There. Have, you, have you ever played Lady Macbeth? You no. Oh, I have. Yes, I, I did. I forgot. <laughs> when young. <laughs> when Such very young. Such a memorable <laughs> performance. I can't remember it. Uh, it was at university. It was Carrie Cracknell directed me when I was at... Um, we were at uni together and we did Macbeth and I played Lady Macbeth. And how did you feel about Lady Macbeth? I really can't remember. It was university. <laughs> it was like just... I, I, well, again, I thought she's an incredible woman. I mean, look, we don't get to play these complex women often. They're not written that often in literature. Yeah. And to, we, there's, they're fairly straightforward. They're usually falling in love with someone or, not, or someone doesn't love them or um, they're a mother who's lost their children. Or, you know, they're, they're, yeah. That's kind of what we get to play most of the time. Mm -hmm. So to play women that are existing in male, considered male worlds... Mm. or male environments, or have male attributes, and considered male attributes, which are not, they're just human attributes. <laughs> but um, we, uh, it's a joy to be able to play really complex people mm. that are, have shades of light and dark and who can be funny and witty and be as dangerous as men on the same stage. It's, yeah. it's electrifying to be able to I play. I saw them. a Lady Macbeth on a school play once which did something absolutely electrifying where she she self-harmed, she just decided to have a look at blood and she just sort of ran an apparent razor blade down her arm and stood there bleeding while she made that speech. I was going, no, it's a school production. <laughs> yeah. No, it, was also, yeah. it was also, it was my daughter. You know, so what can you do? It was your daughter? It was, oh, yes. Wow. She, it's all right, she's given up acting now. She's, uh, there'll, there'll be no more. That of, says more about you than... There'll be no more of that. Um, <laughs> coming back to, to this production here and where we are in this white cube, um, the obvious logical problem with a modern setting is that it looks like a modern house, it is a modern house, mm -hmm. and Tesman also looks like a rather cool, modern, young academic, mm -hmm. really quite mm -hmm. fanciable. You know, very often they, they, they play up the stuffy old bastard um, yeah. uh, line. Um, and so this must, when you've just been discussing it with Eva and you've worked on it, it does create these odd questions, these odd gaps, like why did, did she marry him if she didn't care, she's a modern woman? Why doesn't she go out and get a job if she's so mm -hmm. bored? Uh, you know, why doesn't she even watch the telly almost? You know, all these, all these things one has, to, one has to get through, and one does get through watching it, but th that's something to consider in a production, isn't it? As yes, I mean, we had, it was, he said, I mean, Evo is very interesting because he tries to go against the grain or invert things or make them as, as kind of ambiguous as possible in a way. He won't reveal... Uh, the crux of the play until the last minute. So you you yourselves are kind of going, this is odd, this is sort of doesn't, it's not as clear as I thought it was, and then suddenly it all becomes really, really clear. And he said he didn't want, he wanted Brack, he wanted all of us to be the same age. He wanted it to feel like it was not an older, Brack isn't this old perv who kind of, <laughs> or old sort of slimy dude who hangs around. He wanted him to be, everyone to be the same age. He wanted that Tesman, that complicate, complex relationships, you see them. You see these relationships of convenience or of 
um, he wanted it to be that there was a kind of negotiation, that Tesman wasn't just blindly in love with this woman, that he also was getting something out of it. It was an mm. opportunity for him to go up the social ladder by marrying her. Mm. She knew that, he knew that. They married knowing this. This was like a contract, almost. And yet the money is the wrong way around as well, so she's lost her, she, yeah, her she, status. Yeah, so that it's... So in that way, and I actually said to Eva, okay, I really understand, halfway through rehearsals, I said, I really understand the dynamic with Loveborg, and I really understand the dynamic with Brack. I can't get to grips with the Tesman one. Mm -hmm. And he said, exactly. <laughs> well, we just said that's, it's the most interesting for that reason. It's not clear, it's sort of difficult, and it's like a lot of marriages, full stop, that you see. Yeah. That they could, they bicker, they sort of get at each other, they could be good, they're socially, they work. There's a moment early on, I think over on that sofa yes. over there, where you were actually rather sweet. You know, you actually yeah. seem to be rather nice together and it's fine. Yeah. So socially, in an environment with other people, they work. When they're on their own, they can't communicate. They don't look at each other. They don't have... They sit... We sit on the couch and we stare out. We don't look at each other and have a conversation. Mm. So... And you see his relationship with his aunt is much stronger than his relationship with Hedda. Mm. So you see that. You see many relationships like that that have kind of... She settles. She said she settled for him. And the group all together, somebody else said something interesting. I was just talking outside, said it's like a really, really bad flat chair. As if they, <laughs> are, <laughs> they are all within this space so, so much of the time. There will obviously others come and go. And, and somehow that feeling you kind of can't get out. And everybody's got these rather crisscrossed, complex relationships. And they were being completely modern about mm. it. They were saying, I was, in, I was in a flat like that, you know, and I remember who the Brack was and so on. That is, that's it's like this life. This life is like the sort of <laughs> those are lawyers in a room. They were horrible lawyers, weren't they? I gave yeah. up. They were but no, like yeah, it's, lawyers, that's, yeah. I mean, by doing that and by slightly, well, I don't know, placing it in more modern context and making the actors, uh, it, making it all sort of in the same vein. I don't know. I think it's much more interesting and complex. There was, uh, <clears throat> and I felt I really seen it more alarming or more or more credible for, for that sort of reason. But there was a fascinating piece by Lynn Gardner lately in the Guardian. She homes in on the terrifying scene with Rafe Spall as Brack, mm -hmm. as violently she she sees it as violently sexist, and that Hedda is principally suffering from depression. That she's someone trying to keep up appearances and that it is the man's world that's crushing. She, she saw it absolutely as a feminist thing all the way through. Um, and I was sl sort of slightly um, taken, I was sh shocked by that, because I had thought of quite a lot of it as Hedda's fault, to be honest. And, you know, she, she saw it as, no, you know, she's, she, is, she is depressed. She is being badly treated as depressed. Uh, I think it's a bit of both. I think if uh, you suffer from depression, you might not be able to get break yourself out of this mould. I mean, there's something about Hedda I found, and in playing her, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's, I don't really, I haven't got a through route with her. I play her quite sort of spontaneously and impulsively. That's kind mm -hmm. of how I've been directed to. But the, for me, I feel that she, um, she cuts off all her options herself she's she's mm. destructive from the age dot she was mm. burning or threatening to pull hair and burn hair at a very young age she is someone that has a self-destructive button in her she was probably always going to end up destroying herself somehow 
she, and I think she suffers, she feels deeply, I feel. I asked Evo this early on. I said to him, does she feel deeply? I can't work it out. Is she a deep thinker and feeler? And he said, he said, I think it's both. I think she feels deeply, but she lives in the superficial. And she, mm. she the, a lot of the themes of this play are about courage and about power. And I think that she exists and has these deep, painful moments, but hasn't got the courage to live deeply. Loveborg has the courage to live deeply. Mm. He'll go off and live wildly, and mm. she can't do that. So she tries to live in a superficial world that she can't bear. Mm. Well, in the, yes, and by in doing that, will destroy herself. Well, in, the, in, the, in the marriage thing, and I mean, this, this would probably be a terribly unpopular thing to say, so you don't have to agree at all, because it doesn't matter if people disagree with me. Um, I, I kept on just suddenly thinking, oh God, you know, Diana and Charles in that absolutely worst, worst period where she was having to keep up appearances and, you know, and, and was very, very unhappy. And, you know, we, we know she was very, very unhappy. Is that sense of there is no way out? And we, we get this. And I suppose that's what he did with <laughs> what he does with this set. You know, there is simply no way out. Yeah, I mean, her. this is a set. He sort of said it's, it's almost like the inside of her brain as well. This It's kind of like a, there's, you have the exits are all off the stage. That's, you can't exit out the window. There's nowhere to go. She's locked in. People come in to see her. Um, she's like an object of art, you know, that people are coming to view and touch and prod and comment on whether she's pregnant or not. Or she's been a trophy. She's, she's been a trophy, a trophy wife. Yeah. yeah, she is. She's on display, and she, but she doesn't exit herself. She doesn't run away. She's not like Taya, who is the mirror image of her, who has been able to live with has broken free of a relationship she hated, who has married or got together with a man that she that she's deeply excited by and has like artistic kind of involvement with him and relevance with him and is able to inspire him. She can't, Hedda can't do that. She hasn't done that. She hasn't lived in that way. And so I feel there's a deep sense of self-loathing on her behalf, a deep depression about that. And her only, she is unable to act on it. So she becomes sort of, her only power is in manipulating the people that come and look at her <laughs> and want her. And so she manipulates them and the one person she underestimates is Brack, who takes her power away well, by the end. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I was thinking, uh, I was wondering, well, is it an isolating part to play? Yes. Because you, uh, I mean, uh, normally between actors, there's all this kind yeah. of, you, you can feel it. You can feel the energy and the flow in, yeah. in the room and so on. And of course, with Brack, you do feel that because yeah. he, is, he has invaded right into her space and is yeah. this terrifying, terrifying scene, which we can talk about in a minute. But um, for the rest of them, you are... I mean, is it a lonely sort of place on this stage for you, cold it, and lonely? Yeah, it is. It, it's, I, I thought that the other day, actually, because, yeah, usually, like I say, usually you're in a part that's falling in love or something else, and so you have, like, there's a real, you have to have a real connection with the person you're acting with, or, and in this, it's been quite individual. She exists on the stage alone. She never leaves, and actually the closest ally I have is the maid, <laughs> and by the end, and so... It is odd as an actor because you, you're usually you're sharing a lot more with your uh, co-stars, and it's in this it's just she's on her own in her own world, and her her mind is to the action she takes and the um, the things she does are totally sort of self. I think evolved. It's not through any other. That's what that 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 um, 
impetus was to that, that early review, the, the Telegraph um, a century ago, what a horrible story, what a hideous play, you know, the, the, the shock of it, it feels unlike a lot of other kinds of performance. How is it though, the scene with Brack, I think I would be wiped out every night if I had, had that scene followed by the Yeah, suicide. I had a, it was, a, it was interesting because I knew, because Eva had done this before and he had he'd done that same, he'd staged it in the same way uh, in New York when they did it, about sort of 10 years ago. And um, so I knew something was coming with tomatoes. <laughs> and I'd also seen his other shows where people get covered and stuff. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to just take something. I know yeah. it's going to happen. And um, he, and when we came to rehearsing it, because we did everything chronologically and he wouldn't speak about anything until we got there. Wow. And when we did it, I had a really horrific reaction to it the first time. We didn't even get to the tomatoes, but Rafe hit me with his jacket and I just started sobbing. Um, I thought you should like that, but I really had a quite a visceral reaction to it in the rehearsal yeah. room. And it was because it felt a form of rape. It felt a form of taking the power away. It felt like she had absolutely, in that position, as a woman, her will was being picked apart. Mm. And it's horrible. And every night, I don't, that happened in the rehearsal room and it hasn't happened since on stage in the same manner, but it's, that's where I really, fell in love with Hedda in a way, mm. because I felt no matter, yes, she's a, her actions are unjust, you know, they're not unjustified and totally, totally despicable, but she's, her power has been picked away by a man at the end and just completely she's destroyed. Um, mm. And her last action is an act of will and mm. power and courage mm. in that moment. So I really understood her and understood the kind of, extent and the power of that scene and also um yeah I, I, it's, it was quite moving he doesn't believe in the offstage shot does he Eva? No. <laughs> what no traditionally no. and traditionally also the death you know shot, i mean yeah. she goes on about having a beautiful death and it's like there's the death my death is not beautiful it's ugly and it's mm. vicious and even the way i die she goes like die like a fish that's what his note was die like a fish so i was like yeah. i don't Flap. <laughs> flap. I just flap. So, but even in death, she wants a beautiful death, but death is not beautiful. No, her yeah. death is not beautiful, and she can't achieve that in yes. the last moments of her life either. So it, it's, it's brutal, yeah. yeah. You've done a lot of, of tough, awkward, angry parts. Um, <laughs> someone in a magazine wrote, Ruth Wilson knows her way around a maddening heroine. There's Alice in Luther and, and the, the affair. There's been Stella in Streetcar. Going back, Jane Eyre, Stella who's a tough, tough one oh herself. Yeah. Tough one herself. Um, and I remember describing you in that wonderful Anna Christie with Jude Law at mm -hmm. the Donmar, as a, a cynical, wounded, painted barfly, <laughs> softened into wonder, <laughs> finally finding a dignity. You really like to take on the, the harsh ones, don't you? just like complex people and I think that um, I find also for me if you can discover a journey of a character and you you know Anna Christie she turns up as a yeah, cynical prostitute hates the world hates men because of the way she's been treated and in the course of the journey of the play within in one act she had to fall in love with this man in 10 minutes from hating him, from just mm. like despising men, and then within 10 minutes and falling in love with a man. So it's like that journey is huge. And I love the idea of trying to work out how you get a character from that place to that place. And what mm. it is, what people are capable of changing on a dime, 
Mm. And so for me, that's really interesting that you can be one, th you can be everything and one thing at all times and or everything at one time. And for Hedda, she is so many things. I mean, that's the joy of playing this role is that she gets to be everything. I realized halfway through, I was like, well, she's like a sponge to anyone that comes on. She becomes what they want her to be. Mm. So Taya wants her to be like a girlfriend or Yes. A girlfriend, she'll be, she'll become that. Then with Brack, she's a sort of love interest and a, well, she's a, they're kind of, they they match. Mm. And then with Loveborg, it's something else, and Tesman, it's something else. So for me, what a joy to be able to play all these different sides of one person. And we have that. Mm. We we're different. You're different with your daughter than you are with me, than you are with your mum. With you know, it's like mm. it's. I don't mm. know. I think humans are very complex. So. Even if the character isn't necessarily complex, I'll probably make it more yeah. so. <laughs> in performing it, I'll make it a little bit, you know, I'll put something else well, in. Well, in. in a way, I mean, that takes us back to the, the woman thing, doesn't it? In that women have always traditionally in most societies had to reflect back what is wanted of them by whoever it is. You know, your mum, you know, you're, you're a daughter, you know, you're, yeah. you're a colleague. Um, you're a boss, and of course, women as bosses is becoming increasingly awkward. And you know, people look at Mrs. Thatcher or Theresa May and say, well, "She's just hard," you know. But actually, just being a boss. I mean, you, yeah. you have to reflect back, and, and women have always had to do this. It's awkward. Probably everyone has to do it. I mean, men have to do it as well. But I, I think, I think that women, women rather more yeah. have to do it. Yes. Can I say, ask, go back into your into your upbringing? Because I read somewhere that you were raised a Catholic, as yes. indeed I was, and. That presents layers of mystery and of beauty and of resentment and <laughs> confinement and captivity and being given orders. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that sort of helps, doesn't it? <laughs> um, what helps in... Well, it, as, as an actor, I mean, you've... you've, yeah, you've, you've th there's a lot of stuff which a Catholic child at a Catholic school... Yeah. I mean, the stricter it is, the more so. I don't know how strict yours was. You know, I, I had various Well, I went to a convent layers. for five years, but yeah. it was... Well, it was... There was two nuns, and they... I mean, they, one of them ran it, and the other one was, you know, 89 or 95, or whatever, and just didn't, you know, couldn't really speak, so... Um, the, but um, we, she taught RE and that was it. Um, there's a lot of interdictions, aren't there's there? A there's, there's a lot of confinements. Also, well, yeah, there is. There's lots of rules and, you know, but there's also, I mean, I think in terms of an actor, I, I haven't really thought about this too much, but I, there's lots of storytelling and there's lots of mysticism and there's lots of, I mean, the fact that they... The tran you know, turning blood or wine into blood and uh, the body of Christ. I mean, that that's very visual and very um, uh, theatrical. Mm. Um, and I think there's something and mystical. You know, it's a kind of idea that there's something spiritual and uh, bigger in this sort of theatre of God and and Christ. And I think I think that's it does it. Then everyone's dressed. You know, the the kind of way that they have. Uh, I don't know. There's a ritualistic sort of mm. sense to it, which I think, I don't know, it appeals to kids in I, some I respect. I could see you in a lot of sort of queen, empress, sort of sorceress parts. Can so you? So does that, yes, does that <laughs> well, you, you, know, you give out a certain intensity. Of oh, right, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know, I've never played an empress. I mean, that's the next one, maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, oracles. Has it, has it changed through the run? It's been quite a, quite a good long run. Head and I think this has yet to be an NT live, which is I think coming up quite quite soon. In March, yeah. yeah. Um, has it has the, has it changed for you um, since the yeah, beginning? Yeah, hugely. What what um, things have developed? 
I think plays always do, but I think we had such a short rehearsal time. We had three weeks, which is sort of unheard of. Mm. And we had to come fully learnt with the play. And from the day one, we were in our costume. So mm. it was quite an odd experience, but uh, you had to sort of, you were 10 steps ahead before you started rehearsals. But because of that, you never really got time to dig deep in the psychology of it as such. You were just doing what you've been told. And then once it's on its feet and you have the play to do every night, you start to find the psychology and get dig really deep into it, which is glorious. So all of us, all the actors on stage are digging and finding new things every night. And I found, even in the last three days, on Friday, I found something new in the end, in the last act. Because I found it, Evo had said to me, the last act, once you've burnt the manuscript, for those of you who haven't seen it, I'm sorry, <laughs> just given away, major spoiler alert. Um, but once I do that deed, um, he said, right, the fourth act, it's like the play is over for you. Like, as it almost like you're no longer a header, you've, you've finished the play. So, you've done this very, so one very bad thing to someone. And it's sort of almost like laugh. now it's Ruth on stage sitting there. Like, it, he just said, the play's over for you. It's like the end of the play. You can relax and you're mm. all. And I couldn't quite understand that because it's sort of done things in the, a lot of stuff in the, uh, in the script. You sort of have to act against what's in the script a bit. Um, but recently, I really discovered something on Friday, which was, it was just to be more, the idea of the death that Loveborg does mm. and the beauty of that death and how much value that has for her. And it, she says it liberates her about the active courage that he has. Mm. And I found a simplicity in saying all that, which is the most truthful, I think, header is in the whole mm. play. And then it gets taken away from her when Brack, exerts all his, you know, he, he sort of picks away at that and she finds out the real truth of what happened. But I think there's a moment of utter truth with her, which is almost me speaking rather mm. than Hedda speaking. Yeah. And it's, uh, I found that's, and the turning point of when it all goes wrong is even greater for that reason. In, in a way, that's, that's a very interesting way to work, isn't it? With everybody off the book from the start and, you know, uh, quite a relatively short sort of rehearsal period and mm -hmm. then just go in. So in a sense, you have to get straight into Ibsen or Patrick Marber's very good translations. Um, you know, speak the lines, don't fall over the furniture, die like a fish, do it. And, and then it grows in performance yeah. rather than everybody agonizing for yeah. weeks and weeks and months beforehand as yeah. to exactly how to interpret this. And that's Evo's style, is that's how he works. Yeah, and he, he's a doing man rather than a talking man or a psychologizing. In case I don't psychologize. You ask him a question, he goes, ooh, I'm not good with the <laughs> psychology. I mean, he is, he's a genius. And so he yeah. knows what he's doing, but he does it through action. So the fact that I trash the set with flowers, you know, it's an active way of expressing my feelings rather than subtextually standing there and staring at someone. It's actually, I'm doing something. Was it his idea to bang them into the wall or was that you? What do I bang into the, the, the flowers? flowers? The flowers, Yeah, yes. no, on the floor, yeah, he just, I mean, yeah. he said, I knew that he was gonna get, I'd seen his stuff. I knew he gets people to do weird things. So on the first day of rehearsal, he goes, right, okay, you're gonna go and play, do something over there. And I just got up and I trashed all the flowers because I knew it was coming. And he <laughs> went, no, 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 hold back, that's later. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh no, well, oh, what should I do now? He's like, well, do something with the blinds. <laughs> so I had to do something with the blinds. And the, and the thing with the, um, oh, the burning of the manuscript, that whole bit before it, the sort of dance that I did, we didn't rehearse that at all yeah. until we did a run through of it, which was you know in the third week. And I didn't know. He said, just make theatre. 
So he just said, do something. He didn't liberating, really liberating. liberating. Yeah. I, I found it the most liberating experience I've had on stage because I feel there's not, you don't have to answer everything. It's, we reflect something to you and you make your decisions about what is happening do you feel and the why. Do you feel the audience's shock coming at you sometimes? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we hear <laughs> it. Um, when I hold the gun to Love Borg's head, the people go, <gasps> she's gonna, you know, and, uh, and holding a gun out into the audience. I mean, Evo's done a show in Paris called The Damned and he's got a whole, he's got a machine gun that he fires out into the audience. <laughs> In Paris, I mean, this guy is wild. I mean, that after what <laughs> happened last year, I mean, you yeah. know, he's, he's sort of <laughs> crazy, <laughs> but it's, um, it, it's really electrifying for everyone. I think it really kind of oh, it puts everyone on edge, but also you realize how dangerous Hedda mm. can be. And he said to me, he's like, you, you hold off as long as possible and then you turn, so no, no one ever knows really which way she's gonna go. Mm. So um, I, I've, I've been, I've had such an amazing experience doing it. I've loved it. On that note, and uh, by the way, has everybody seen the shoes? <laughs> I just They're quite header, aren't absolutely they? Absolutely certain, yes. Crossed with the Iron Heel. Ruth Wilson. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Libby.